and I felt alive again, man. Uh, my competitive spirit was there, and you know, I'm glad Coach and the whole team trusted me to you know, finish the game up. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I'm Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOAA.com and The Advocate, here today with Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. And special guest, you might know him on Twitter, Fast Break Breakfast, Keith Parrish. What's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, Christian? What's going on, Jeff? Happy to be here. Yeah, a couple hours uh, after Pelicans of the Grizzlies played inside the bubble, um, I think both fan bases were pretty thirsty for a win. I, I personally was a little afraid to, to be on Pelican Twitter if they lost. I mean, I think the Pelicans are at a, a more dire place than the Grizzlies, obviously, right now. I'm, I'm glad they won mainly for my own sanity because I was just afraid to see what Pelican Twitter was going to look like if, if they lost that game. Well, if you guys lost the game, I mean, you weren't done, but... They were done. It was very, very <laughs> bleak. Like There was no chance to overtake the Grizzlies, basically, and then you had all those other teams ahead of you. So, I mean, it, it was a true do-or-die for the Pelicans. Grizzlies fans are in a despairing place. I'm trying to calm them. I'm like, I'm like we literally need to win one game. Like, if the Grizzlies win one game, they're going to make the play in almost certainly. So, like, we win one game. It's okay. Yeah, for the Pelicans, it was like, okay, you win tonight or your, your chances of even making the play-in are shot, basically. Yeah. For the Grizzlies, you know, they started 0-3. But the only thing they've really lost right now is they had a decent chance to not even have to be in the play-in. And the 0-3 start has really kind of eliminated that, at least, you know, the high percentage of that happening. Now they're pretty much looking at that one way or the other, whether it's the 8 or the 9. Yeah, and I think the Grizzlies fan base, we were already had accepted the fact that the NBA desperately wanted a play-in game. I mean, it was really weird that if the Grizzlies maintained their lead, they still had to do a play-in. Like, it was incumbent on the Grizzlies to grow their three-and-a-half game lead to four-and-a-half games. Like, they, they couldn't even do it four because, you know, the, the number of games played were off. So telling the Grizzlies you have to be four-and-a-half games up to not have a play-in, we were already like, okay, fine, we're doing a play-in. Let's, <laughs> let's just survive this and, uh, and, and then worry about it when we get there. So let me ask you this. Do you think the way the NBA decided to do it up, you know, the four games or fewer thing to, to create a play-in tournament, do you think that was fair? I think... I think the play-in tournament, as created, was fair enough. I, I think the the four-game rule I thought was arbitrary and not fair, but I, I felt like maybe three and a half would have been okay or three games is okay. But as far as the entire setup of the restart, no, it was incredibly fair to the Grizzlies. It was advantageous to the Grizzlies. When the regular season was suspended, Jaron Jackson Jr. was injured. Brandon Clark was injured. We were expecting Justice Winslow to come back the very next day. But when the season got shut down, it actually helped out the Grizzlies to get a little bit healthier. And you guys know, as Pelicans fans, the odds, even if you don't believe in like 538's Raptor model, like, like I don't, the, even the betting odds, the betting odds of the Pelicans making the playoffs were much higher before the shutdown. When, when it all got shut down, it's like, oh, you now only have eight games left. We've eliminated the bottom eight teams. That greatly increased the odds of the Grizzlies making the playoffs and of the Pelicans missing the playoffs. So from that perspective, no, the shutdown and then the restart plan was, was plenty fair, plenty just for the Grizzlies. It actually made the Grizzlies' schedule easier because instead of going on road trips, it's all neutral site games. And the eight opponents were the Grizzlies' actual next eight opponents. So it, it, it was fair for Grizzlies. Yeah. 
One of the other things for the Grizzlies schedule, which is really, it looks a lot tougher down the stretch than it is when you, when you really like take into account the fact that they're playing the Bucks in their eighth game. Now, the Bucks in that eighth game will be resting players, right. getting ready to play off for the playoffs. And the Celtics in the seventh game might be doing the same thing. So, like, if you just want to look at strength of schedule, it's a little different. But this, the Grizzlies schedule is loaded. Yeah, the Grizzlies schedule is loaded. I will say that that same issue is what we would have faced in the actual regular season. Yeah. Every time people were like, oh, the Grizzlies' last 18 games, you know, 16 are against above 500 teams. It's like, yeah, but if you're playing them in April, it's not the same. Like, we've all seen April basketball. It's ridiculous. You have your your Jordan McRae scores 40 points. Grayson Allen scores 40 points. <laughs> like, April basketball is ridiculous. If you're playing with a lead in the standings, you normally pick up wins against teams that don't care as much. So, Hopefully that will still stay the same, and the Celtics will rest their players, and the Bucks will rest their players, and the Raptors will rest their players. Well, I thought Grayson Allen was on his way to 40 points last night. He was. Oh, man, he was. <laughs> he tied his career high in three-pointers in the second quarter. Yeah. <laughs> right. He was doing like a dream shake at one point. Yeah. It was something. So as far as Monday's game goes, um, after the game, Alvin Gentry pretty much credited the Pelicans' defense. Their, their whole game plan against John Morant was – we're going to go under the screen and roll. We're going to force him to shoot threes. Ja went 1 of 10 from deep. The Grizzlies shot 12 of 43 as a team. I wanted to ask you, Keith, how much of this was the Pelicans actually being solid on defense and how much of this was just the Grizzlies not making shots that, that normally they make? I don't want to take all the credit away from the Pelicans' defense because Drew Holiday has been a menace in all the games we've seen this season uh, of the matchup of against John ja Morant. But... The Grizzlies couldn't hit a shot. They haven't been able to hit shots in any of the Orlando games. It's been kind of a nightmare to watch. I mean, Ja was shooting 37% for the season before the bubble games, and he's just been missing everything. People are going under every screen, and he's not m knocking the shots down. I think a lot of it was legs for Ja Morant. Uh, this is the Grizzlies' third game in four days. Ja Morant's season high in minutes was 36 and he played, I think, 43 against Portland, you know, career high. Then on Sunday, he played 38 against the, tr the Spurs. And then yesterday, he played 38 again. So you're seeing him play a lot more minutes than he's played at any other time in his NBA career. I mean, the Pelicans are a bad matchup, I think, defensively for the Grizzlies. But I think you guys probably saw it was just it was open shots and just the Grizzlies couldn't make anything. Luckily, the Pelicans also couldn't hit a lot of their shots or it could have been a lot uglier. Jaws basically been the reverse Zion so far. You know, so <laughs> when I looked at the Grizzlies schedule, this this game actually, the Pelicans Grizzlies game, to me stuck out as when you talk about a really difficult schedule, putting a must win game for them on a back to back set in their third game. So that makes three games in four days or whatever it was. Yeah. Like that to me was the most significant scheduling difficulty they faced. And I think that what you saw a lot last night, especially in terms of the foul trouble that a lot of guys got in, Dylan Brooks followed out. Valentinus fouled out. Jaron Jackson and uh, Brandon Clark were both in foul trouble early. Like to me, that is that was a sign of a the Pelicans taking advantage of that when driving, you know, putting their head down and just taking it in constantly. But also, when you're tired, when you're on the second half of back to back, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna have the legs to play defense to draw a charge. And I think that's a lot of what you saw. And once Valentinus went out of the game, they lost a lot. It would he, he had a, a great game. He went 12 and 13. And they had no answer for him. And then he went out and they just they crumbled in the, on the interior, I think. Yeah, it's been strange that actually they haven't been playing Valentinus down the stretch. And that's something that Grizzlies writers and fans have been talking about. Like, was this a predetermined strategy for the Grizzlies to only play their young players in the fourth quarters of these games? They're basically only 
in the first two games, they only played Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark in the front court. They didn't put Jonas Valanciunas back into the game in either one of those games. This game, it basically felt like it maybe only happened because of foul trouble. And, and so that's what I don't know. But as far as the, uh, the, the second game of a back-to-back, Grizzlies con- conspiracy theorist definitely circled that. <laughs> or like, the NBA wants the Pelicans in so bad to give the huge Pelicans-Grizzlies game on the second day of a back-to-back and a third game in four days. It definitely wasn't an advantage. As far as the Drew Jaw matchup, um, it's it's interesting to see you know what guards Drew has had a lot of success guarding this year and what guards have been able to to kind of get theirs. Um, my theory is that you know Jaw, Dame Lillard, Drew has been really successful against those guys. Donovan Mitchell is a guy who's kind of hurt the Pelicans. He did the other night. That's been the case all year. I think with like Jaw and Damian Lillard, like Drew can just physically impose his will. Like he's just I think he's just you know, significantly bigger than those guys. And I, I think that's that's part of what's going on there, whereas like a, a Mitchell is just a little bit stronger. At least that's my that's my half-baked theory. Well, my theory so far is just Jaw really struggles with strong, as in physically strong, bigger guys. Um, ben Simmons has embarrassed him a couple times. Like, that's not even a fair matchup. Jaw is very casual with the ball sometimes, if it's part of the swagger, part of the cockiness that he has. But you see sometimes where he plays a, a, a handsy, tough defender, and he's a little too loose with it, and he gets pushed around. It's hard to know how much to attribute to that. And again, going back to just if his legs were just gone. And also the Grizzlies' confidence has been gone um, in these restart games. The supporting cast has completely disappeared I mean, Ja and Jaron have been playing very well. Brandon Clark's been playing well. Jonas Valanciunas has been okay. Everyone else, just they're getting absolutely nothing. How much do you think Ja actually weighs? I mean, I know what he's listed at. I mean, if you had to just guess his weight, what is he at? His weight? He's like he's like 170, I think. I mean, he, he's nothing. They, they, were, they, were, they were saying that he'd gained 12 pounds of muscle. It must be like his calves or thighs or something. <laughs> Because he's been shirtless, and it's like, no, that's the smallest guy. I mean, I remember seeing the guy in person over the summer, and I'd never seen him play bat. I saw him play one NCAA tournament game, and I saw him in person at Vegas Summer League, and I was like, it's unbelievable how slight of a frame this guy has. He's just a tiny 19-year-old, and then, again, um, it's impressive what he does so far in his career, but he's so small, and uh, I I definitely always worry for him when he's driving in the paint, getting knocked over, thinking about how skinny he is. So when the when the Grizzlies decided to, and I brought this up at the time, it felt weird. When the Grizzlies decided to trade Jay Crowder, I felt like that trade was odd to me because this is a team that's trying to make the playoffs, and you move basically the one guy in the rotation that really has a strong background in in big games. And and I'm curious from someone who follows them a lot more closely than I do. Do you think that that is something that's impacting them? Because it did seem down the stretch of the last three games, you know, maybe the Blazers game notwithstanding. You know, it seemed like they they just didn't have that like calming presence there. Yeah, I think that's a good point that watching these games, it definitely seems like they just need a calming veteran influence, someone who won't get beat on the dribble constantly and someone who's not overwhelmed by the moment. But again, it's it's also on the other hand, it feels like they've made a conscious decision to put guys who have absolutely no playoff reps or big game reps and say, hey, go do it. Let's let's just do this. When the Grizzlies got rid of Jay Crowder, like people talked about how you know this hurts them in the short term for this playoff chase for this season. Obviously, recognizing that it's a long-term play, if Justice Winslow can finally get healthy, it was worth that trade-off. I'm 
more in the camp of being okay with it, even for this season, because with Jay Crowder out of the lineup, Jay Crowder was taking 30 minutes per game. With Jay Crowder out, they began giving uh, D'Anthony Melton more minutes, giving Kyle Anderson more minutes, and I thought that would maybe help the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, after the trade deadline, are actually the fifth-best defensive team in the NBA. They have the fifth-best fifth best defensive rating since the trade deadline. So it didn't feel like it necessarily hurt them, and it opened up minutes for other guys uh, that I thought was good. And also f- finally got Josh Jackson on the court. We haven't seen much of Josh Jackson in the Orlando bubble, but like he didn't even play, basically, while Jay Crowder was on the team. So even with knowing what I know and seeing how poorly the Grizzlies have played in their three restart games, games they were in, I mean, they weren't like crushed in any of them. They were in all the games in the fourth quarter. But even so, even knowing that, I would still like, I'm not, I'm not mourning the loss of Jay Crowder, even though I've seen a lot of people talking about like, this is why they should have held on to Jay Crowder. I'm like, whatever, it'll, it'll be fine. I thought the Grizzlies played a pretty good defensive game. Um, I, I thought the Pelicans just hit a lot of tough shots. I mean, Brandon in, Ingram in particular. I mean, a lot of those were just heavily contested, but especially in the first half when Zion was going to the rim, I mean, they were walling it off, which is what you got to do. I mean, you just got to have multiple big bodies in there. Um, I mean, I, I really just thought this kind of came down to shot making, frankly. Like, the, the Grizzlies just kind of missed their open ones, and, and the Pelicans hit a lot of tough ones. Yeah, Brandon Ingram, obviously, he closed that game out. Just spectacular play, spectacular shot over good defense. I mean, I honestly thought there was halfway through the third, fourth quarter, I thought the Grizzlies were in a decent position. Dylan Brooks fouled out, which was I was thrilled about. Like, Dylan Brooks, is, <laughs> is, he's spiraling. Like, he is, he is, he's been terrible for basically the last, like, 20 games or so. And when he fouled out and they went to a front court combination, which I think is their most successful with Kyle Anderson, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark. And then Zion, you know, looked beat. Like the Grizzlies were attacking Zion. He played like those first four minutes of the fourth quarter. Alvin Gentry desperately was calling a timeout. Like they're just attacking Zion. We have to get off the court. I was feeling great then. But then unfortunately, the Grizzlies stopped hitting shots. When Zion checked back in, he got his breath. He was a handful. And then Brandon Ingram hit all those clutch shots and, and put the Grizzlies away. That that Zion Triple J, I call him Triple J because I can't say his full name sure. without stumbling. Uh, that defensive matchup just destroyed the Pelicans <laughs> all night long. I mean, there was one point uh, Jaron Jackson put him in the blender and he just fell <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just yeah. into a heap. And it was like, you, you hear all about John Morant. It's like Triple J, which I really wish people would turn that into a nickname I can say without sounding dumb. Uh, he is a machine. I mean, that guy's fun to watch. I mean, he's basically a 6'11 shooting guard out there. He hit the game-tying shot against the Spurs the other night, and which they ended up coughing, coughing up on the other end with a foul. But, man, he is fun to watch. Yeah, he's a guy who looks like he might have taken a mini leap over the COVID-19 break, you don't want to draw too many conclusions based on just a few games, but he's been spectacular on offense. I mean, he was good all season. It's funny when you hear a lot of national NBA analysts talk about his disappointing second year. It's like, what did you expect from the guy? He's 20. He's hitting three-pointers at a historic rate for a 6'11 guy. He's shooting 40% threes on basically six attempts a game, and then we've seen it in these three seeding games, he's been dominant on offense. His drives have been paid off with strong finishes. He, I mean, he, he put Yusuf Nurkic in the blender and dunked on him a few times. And then, like, you saw him drive on Zion and Derek Favors. Like, he's, his offensive game is absolutely on fire. His weakness, comically, is that his defense has not 
been to the, I guess, the the heights that people expected coming out of Michigan State. The thought was he's a defensive stopper with a three-point shot, and it's like, no, he's he's a 6'11 Ray Allen, and, <laughs> and we'll have to work on the defense. But at, at age 20, I will accept a guy who has a three-point rate like similar to Steph Curry's first few years in the league as my 6'11 20-year-old. That's cool. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. That's fine. You can, you can have your, your defensive stoppers. You, you just don't see a 6'11 guy, you know, running full speed in transition, him getting the ball and just like one, two step right into a jumper or, or just, you know, a dead sprint running from the interior out to the three point line, turning and getting it up all in one motion. That shot he hit against the Trailblazers the other night, like I was, I was like, I've, I've never really seen a guy that size be able to do that. What's weird is it takes, I don't know. It takes 100 or 200 repetitions of watching him shoot to get used to it, that it's going to go in, because uh, it's such a strange-looking shot. There's not much spin on the ball, but it's a repeatable motion, and he knocks him down, and he's been doing it for two years. I mean, his very first summer league game, I think he hit seven or eight uh, in the Utah Summer League, and I remember then being like, what in the world? Did, like, does that always go in? And it basically has. He's, a, he's an unbelievable shooter. And, I mean, he, again, he, he blocks shots. It's basically him and Porzingis. I think the guys who average two threes per game and one and a half blocks per game. So he already is that sort of unicorn template there. And he's a reason the Grizzlies are very excited, regardless of the 0-3 uh, bubble so far. Yeah, so the kind of release that you, that as a 6'11 guy you can get away with, as like a 6'2 guard, it would get blocked into your face constantly. He kind of releases it out <laughs> in front of his body. But for a guy like him, it just shortens the distance he has to shoot it, so it works. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, I uh, Joel Embiid has a similar release, and I th- maybe that's just you know when you're seven feet tall, you, <laughs> you learn how to shoot a little differently. But it's also wild how good he is with his footwork on getting out behind the line and on those step backs, and you can run pin downs for him, and especially those those trail threes where he just stops four or five four or five feet behind the line and can knock those down. It's still it's it's hard to get used to. So this may seem like an obvious answer, but. I mean, I think I know what I would say. I want to know what you would say. Who do you think is going to be better in five years, Jaron Jackson or Ja? I mean, that's tough. You, ja, because he has the ball in his hands all the time and seems to have that extra intangible, like, superstar kind of feel to him where you could see him carrying a team, um, I think probably Ja is the answer. But there still is a ceiling where you get some kind of Chris Bosh, Kevin Garnett hybrid of what Jaron Jackson Jr. is. Whenever I want to get super excited or, or carried away with optimism or Grizzlies <laughs> propaganda, I, I'll I'll pull up those like Chris Bosh, Kevin Garnett, age nineteen, age twenty splits and put them beside Jaron Jackson Jr. and be like Jaron Jackson Jr. is ahead on everything basically except for rebounding, and so it's. You know, I guess there is a universe or an outcome where Jaron Jackson Jr. maybe becomes that. But right now, we're looking at John Morant, 60 games into his career, averaging 17 and 7 on a team that's winning a lot of its games. I mean, when when Jaron and Ja play, they're still over 500 for the season when they're both healthy playing. So they're basically a playoff team with John Morant being the best player right now. So. I guess the safe bet is John Morant, but there, I think there is an outcome where, where Jaron could be the right answer. It's such a loud 17 and seven too. It's such an yeah, impactful yeah. 17 and seven. I mean, I feel like, you know, so often rookies 
you know, it's, it's empty numbers. It's, it's the opposite of that. I just, I can't believe how impactful he is. Well, it's 17 and seven in 30 minutes per game in, in the first two games before maybe if you want to argue, he ran out of gas against the Pelicans. He was averaging 23 points, 10 assists and seven rebounds. And that's playing 38 minutes per game. So it is allowed 77. It's also it's, it's highlight. It's nonstop every game. There's four or five plays where he completely deceives a guy in a pick and roll, does a ball fake, does a big between the legs pass or he jumps over somebody to dunk. So it is loud 17 and 7. It's highlights and it is him running everything by himself and I think it's Mark Price is the only player in NBA history to average 17 and 7 in under 30 minutes per game. Job was doing it for a while, but now because of the bubble, his minutes per game has popped up over that very arbitrary 30-minute cutoff. Um, I thought the play of the game or, you know, arguably one of them was when Zion caught the ball with like two minutes left in the right corner, and there were three Grizzlies in front of him, and he just goes around two of them. I believe Ja was one of them, which, you know, you got to make a business decision there. That's like a 120-pound <laughs> difference yeah. or something. And then Brandon Clark was the third guy. I don't think Brandon Clark expected, you know, Zion to get all the way to him, and Zion just kind of like leaped from outside the right block and finished it right at the rim, and, and Brandon Clark just kind of got got bowled over. It was, it was a weird game from Zion. I thought he – I thought – I mean, he looked – really tired midway through the fourth quarter like you said like I, I've said a couple of times it looks like he's like a dude who ate a, an entire Thanksgiving meal or like an all-star special at Waffle House and then he's being asked to, to go out there I mean it just doesn't look comfortable but I, I thought he finally did look comfortable there in the fourth quarter and specifically at the end has anyone gotten a hold of that unphotoshopped Zion workout photo with the mask yet? <laughs> like, I, I, I feel like that's almost one of those things you get fined for in the NFL for gambling purposes. Like they, they released this Photoshop, you know, or like, or like, hey, Zion, put your arms behind your back, suck it in. Look at this photo. It's going to go viral. Because obviously he's looked out of shape. He's looked, uh, I mean, I don't want to judge um, or body shame. But he doesn't look in shape at all. He's looked very, very tired. He did have that final burst like we talked about, like him, Coach Gentry taking him out, letting him get his breath and coming back in so he could finish strong. Like that, maybe that was the game right there in that decision just to get him off the court and let him rest. But no, I mean, he's obviously so gifted physically, and I thought he was bad for most of the game, even though he put up some great stats and had a couple spectacular plays. But his performance in the fourth quarter, along with Brandon Ingram's clutch shots, it was the difference. I mean, even even his bad games are good. Yeah, like I, right. I would agree that yeah, last yeah, night was a yeah. bad game for him, and it was still you know a good game from just a normal dude. I mean, I think only the the only really bad bad game he's played against the Clippers, and when he only had three stints, and you yeah. know they lost by a million points. That's like the only one of the twenty two I would say was bad bad. Yeah, I mean you know better than me. I mean I love I love watching Zion. Like I try to needle Pelicans fans, and I'm all about <laughs> building the Grizzlies. Pelicans rivalry, but Zion is so much fun to watch, and he's so gifted. And I mean, the Pelicans are fun to watch. Like I, Drew Holiday is one of my favorite players, but yeah, Zion, man, he's a gift. I mean, the question is the fun NBA question is based on everything you know with injury concerns or conditioning concerns. Like going forward, would you rather have Zion Williamson or John Morant? I know Grizzlies fans like we wouldn't trade John Morant for Zion Williamson, and Pelicans fans are the same. Like we have this special guy, so. It's, it's fun how they're connected, too, like playing AAU ball together, growing up in South Carolina, being friends, being one and two in the draft. And, and hopefully them being intertwined will help that rivalry build for the next many seasons. 
one of the things that I spent way too much time doing, and I'm not very proud of this, is just comparing <laughs> pictures of, of what Zion looked at Duke versus what he's looked like in <laughs> Pelicans uniform. Because it just, it just is, you know, two completely different guys. I mean, I don't really know, you know, how it's got to this point. I know during summer league, Coach K even went on the record and said that uh, he, he, like, he's not in the shape to be playing in summer league. And then obviously the knee thing happens and he's just kind of been behind the eight ball the whole year. I mean, it was, I guess it was a tough break because he sort of played his way into shape there during those 19 games and then boom, you know, you can't play five on five for, for four months or whatever. So it's just been such a weird year. But I think, you know, Ginger Reddick has said this a number of times, like, the sky is the limit if he if he gets in really good shape. I mean, MVP, like that's all within reach. I, I can't believe how good he is and you know how poor a shape he is. And I mean, we haven't seen anything from him from what he looked like defensively at Duke. It's just, I mean, he, he kind of looks like a different guy, um, even even though he's still doing a lot of the same amazing things. Yeah, I mean, like the thing is, you, you, the first two games you had people complain like, why isn't he playing more minutes? He should be playing more minutes. Let him play his way into shape. Did the guy walking off the court with, you know, what was it, eight minutes left, six minutes left in the fourth quarter last night look like a guy who should be playing 30 minutes right now? <laughs> like, no, he needs to play. He needs to ramp up. Like, I was I was not exp- – I, I wasn't sure he was going to come back in when he walked off the court. You know, Gentry said eight to ten at the beginning of the quarter, you know, and he was pretty confident about that. So knowing that he had only played six minutes, he kind of felt like, okay, well, he already kind of foreshadowed that he's going to come back in. But I still wasn't sure. Just the, his body language and just how dead he looked walking off the court. But, you know, once he kind of saw the finish line, he was able to hit that next gear. But, yeah. Yeah, he was – when he went off the court, I was mad. Like, I, you know, I was <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, that was the, – the, the Grizzlies had looked – I don't know. They looked dead the entire game. They hadn't played well the entire game. And finally, it seemed like they understood. We got to get the ball to Jaron Jackson Jr. And we're just going to go at Zion Williamson. And it finally gave the Grizzlies purpose for like the first time in the game. And then when he went out, I was like, oh, no. And then he came back in. I was excited. And that was, that was my mistake. Because when he came back in, yeah, he, t- he took over. One of the things I forgot until I was looking over the game notes, Brandon Ingram and Grayson Allen were teammates at Duke. What do, what do you just think they talked about? Like, what were those conversations like? Man, I don't know. You mean at Duke or during the game? No, at Duke. I mean, I, oh. I, I feel like those are like, uh, you know, <laughs> some, some different uh, experiences and worldviews coming together. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, the Grizzlies are very strange where Zach Kleiman, the, the Grizzlies GM or whatever his title is, I think he's vice president, vice president of basketball, uh, he went to law school at Duke, and now the Grizzlies have Grayson Allen, Tyus Jones, and Justice Winslow, all Duke players. So in some way it feels like he just is building his own fantasy roster of his favorite college basketball players. Well, yeah, Trajan Langdon is the gym here, so they're, they're kind of exactly. doing the same thing. And you guys there. have, uh, yeah, yeah, you have plenty of the, the Duke connection is there as well. Yeah, I threw out the uh, the Grayson Brandon Ingram thing on Twitter, and I someone responded two different kinds of tripping. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, a couple more responses that that might not be appropriate for Twitter. I also learned uh, looking at Grayson's basketball reference page nicknames: G Money and Debo. I didn't know about Debo. Yeah, I don't know what they know. Yeah, never heard that before. A bully. Um, <laughs> I, I want to ask you, too, about uh, Taylor Jenkins. Um, from my perspective, I feel like he, he just came out of nowhere. Um, he's from Arlington, Texas, which was where I grew up, so maybe I should have known about him. But um, how, how surprised were you when they made that hire? And you know, how have your expectations kind of, kind of changed over the course of this season? 
Well, I don't really believe anybody who says they knew who Taylor Jenkins was when he got hired. I mean, if maybe if you're a Bucks fan or a Hawks fan, you knew the name. But I specifically remember when the Woj bomb dropped that the Grizzlies were hiring Taylor Jenkins, my entire Twitter timeline of like national NBA writers and Grizzlies writers was just who's Taylor Jenkins? Like no one knew anything about him other than, you know, then we found out, oh, he's an assistant on, on the Bucks. He was one of Budenholzer's guys. But as far as expectations, I mean, yeah, he exceeded everybody's expectations. It's one of those things where fan bases are always taking receipts of people who predicted their team to do poorly. Right now we're seeing the Lakers doing this weird, like, celebratory dance. Like, no one believed in us. It's like everyone believed in you. You have, Le- you have LeBron James <laughs> and Anthony Davis. And gr- some Grizzlies fans are like, yeah, we're really good. No one believed in us. It's like, yeah, no. Who in their right mind would have believed in this Grizzlies team with, with a coach you knew nothing about, with an unproven rookie, and then the rest of the roster was just a mess. And so, no, he's exceeded all expectations. The Grizzlies, the last five seasons, were always at the bottom in the league in pace, in field goal percentage, in, in uh, field goals made per game. And Taylor Jenkins, like every single coach that gets hired, is like, oh, we're going to play fast. We're going to do pace and space. We're going <laughs> to shoot more three-pointers. And it's like, yeah, that's what everyone, that's what J.B. Bickerstaff said. That's what David Fisdale said. That's what every new coach at every level of basketball basically says. But Taylor Jenkins told the truth. The Grizzlies were basically around sixth in pace all season. They're setting all kinds of franchise scoring records. They've had their longest streak of like games over 110 points by a lot. I don't want to say the record coming into the season was four games in a row, scoring over 110 points per game. And they've had that streak, I don't know, like six or seven different times. Um they shoot a lot of threes. Their three-point shooting has fallen off. Like, it was unsustainable. I mean, there was a stretch in December, like a 20-game like a stretch from December to January, where the Grizzlies had the exact same offensive stats as last year's 60-win Milwaukee Bucks team, where he basically transformed the Grizzlies into his vision of what a team should be. Like, 30% of your shots were from three. 40% of your shots were right at the goal. Um, it was like 100. 14 offensive rating, I can't remember. I'm just now guessing. But it was basically, it was picture perfect. The defense was not the same, which was the big difference. But it was still the fact that he remade this Grizzlies team, even without the talent, with no shooters, no real above-average wing players, to turn them into like his vision of what he thought basketball should be, absolutely exceeds all expectations. And, uh, yeah, I'm very impressed and happy with him. Well, I do know one guy who at the opening press conference is not going to say, you know, we should play fast and shoot a lot of threes and pace and space. You think it's Tibbs? I think it might be Tibbs. Man, Tibbs might have learned some things during his sabbatical. Find out to not alienate his star players. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, Mitchell Robinson, who's, who's from Louisiana, is on that team. Uh, that was the person I thought of when they announced the hiring. I was like, man. I kind of feel bad for Mitchell Robinson right now. Like I saw, that's, I saw Mitchell Robinson dropping some threes on Instagram. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean that's that's never going to happen <laughs> when practices start. It's going to be really rough for him. Uh, note from the broadcast last night. I just I watched the uh, the ESPN feed this morning. Mark Jones called Taylor Jenkins Tyler Jenkins. So that's how <laughs> so uh, he, he is. I think he called Anthony Melton DeAndre Melton too. It's fine. Yeah. And Doris Burke likes to call Ja Ja. Like oh, a Z, like oh, Z-H-A. Ja? I don't know if anyone else heard that. It was Ja. <laughs> it was, it's a very, it's a very um, interesting way to uh, 
I don't have a JA out there. I don't hate that. I'm fine with it. <laughs> it's smoother. It's yeah, smoother. Yeah. Um, so I, I have one. Okay. So the Grizzlies schedule left. So obviously we talked about how Boston, Milwaukee, that those games might be a little easier if those teams are resting. But the schedule just on its own, you got the Jazz, you got the Thunder, you got the Raptors and the Celtics and the Bucks. There's no breaks there. What do you, what, what's your, you know, just quick take of like, okay, where do the Grizzlies end up? Is that two and three? Is that three and two? I mean, I, I would, I'm assuming they're going to win two games. My prediction coming in was like three and five. I thought three and five was most likely. Um, and, you know, four and four was kind of hopeful. Uh, and so they, they didn't win any of the first three games where I thought they would, I thought they would get one. You know, they had two that came down to the wire and then they were sort of in the Pelicans game. And the, the bigger concerns again are like the, the team has looked bad. Uh, and like the really missing Tyus Jones, one of the strengths of the team was that that second unit w- would gain points for them. And they're losing all the points now. Like when Jaron Jackson Jr. is off the court, their second unit's falling apart. So like of the, of the remaining games, you know, you have to get a Jazz or Thunder. Jazz, are, I think, one of the weaker teams. The Grizzlies have played them okay this year. The Thunder, there's going to be no Dennis Schroeder. And the Grizzlies have played the Thunder well this year, even though the Thunder are very strong. So I would assume they get one of those. And then it's weird that you have to just be hoping that Raptors, Bucks, and Celtics don't care because all three of those teams are just so much better than the Grizzlies. And so, you know, if you can get two of those games, two of the remaining five, you're in the play-in. It's almost, I think it's, it's basically impossible for two teams to pass the Grizzlies if they win two of their games. I mean, just if the, if the Grizzlies win one game, the Pelicans have to go four and one to pass them. And even then, like, I, I don't, I'm not, like, I'm not overly worried yet. I think some people are pulling their hair out, but I don't think, I don't think like the Pelicans and the Trailblazers and the Spurs. Yeah, again, I, I think we we're talking about like, what are the odds they can fall out? It's very low they fall out of the play in. I'm still optimistic they can win two games and retain that eight seed. And then again, is, is, as dark as things feel right now, if you if you maintain that eight seed, and if you can at least somewhat regain the team's rhythm that they had during the regular season, uh, then you, then you're honestly feeling still pretty good about actually getting in the playoffs, even though it's hard to say right now at the pit of our despair. <laughs> I think the Grizzlies are going to be fine, uh, Keith. You just continue continue to talking their fans off the ledge, please. It's going to be all right. Uh, <laughs> Where can, uh, where can people find your work? I know you're on Twitter at Fast Break Breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast Break Break on Twitter. Uh, we have Fast Break Breakfast. Covers the entire NBA. Just an entertaining podcast if you like entertaining basketball podcasts. If you're a Grizzlies fan, check us out. Check me out at Grits Grinds over on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Well, cool, man. Um, hopefully that was not the last time the Pelicans and Grizzlies face each other. Hopefully uh, we get one or, or you know, maybe even two more of those games. No, I'd rather play the Spurs. Thanks. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think it's a good idea to just spend the last five, ten minutes just resetting where the Pelicans are. That you know they lost the first two games. It was always going to be a sky is falling type thing if the dog would shut up. Um, and so that went against the Grizzlies. It really just kind of <laughs> reset everything. They're now two games. They're now two and a half games out of the eight, a half game out of the nine behind the Spurs and the Blazers. You know, we, we also talked about the fact that the Grizzlies kind of got jobbed a little bit by having their back-to-back early on and the Pelicans on the second half. The Pelicans now are going into their back-to-back. They get two days of rest before the Kings on Thursday. And then they have, you know, and the Kings team that has looked atrocious. They got steamrolled by the Magic the other night. 
And then they have the Wizards in their back-to-back on Friday, probably the easiest matchup that you could get in the bubble. So, you know, I think as, as off horrible as things looked two days ago, you, you have to be optimistic at the very least about their chances now, right? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've kind of done the bare minimum here through three games, you know, going one and two, and yet I still think they've got a pretty decent shot to do this. Um, you know, today is Tuesday. They're not practicing. They're going to take the day off and, and then get back at it Wednesday. So uh, Zion gets the day off. I, I would assume. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the two Sacramento games, I think obviously they have to win at least one of those. Um, right now, they've got a, a 1-0 advantage in the season series. Um, so just winning one of those would give them the head-to-head tiebreaker, which would be pretty big for them. And I think they probably got to go, I mean, they got to go 4-1 and one at, at minimum if they if they want to have a shot to do this. I mean, we've, we've said all along that the Trailblazers are going to be really hard to sneak by. I mean, it, it looks like they're a half game back in the standings, but they're really one and a half games back because of the way the NBA has has decided to determine the tiebreakers. I mean, I think the Trailblazers are going to be the team you really have to worry about because, you know, they're healthy. They've got Yusuf Nurkic, who looks really good. He's really freaking good. They're a team that made the Western Conference Finals last year. That's going to be the one team I, I really have my eye on for the nine. Yeah, and so the, and so the Blazers are also the only team that – stops the pelicans right now from controlling their own destiny right so it when you and when you say that you look at it like okay if the pelicans go five and out then they should be in right no because the blazers can also go five and oh because they don't have a head-to-head matchup that's not true of the spurs because the pelicans play the spurs so both of those teams can't go five and oh so you the blazers are the team to watch and I, I tweeted early on, like, the, when you're watching the Grizzlies and the Blazers play, it was kind of weird because you weren't sure which team to root for, but 100% you should, be, should have been rooting for the Grizzlies to win that matchup because every loss the Blazers take is huge for the Pelicans' chances because they can't do anything on their end to create separation there. They have to hope that the Blazers drop games. And the Blazers have a very difficult schedule, too. Everyone has a difficult schedule other than the Pelicans, which is why when you look at this, you have to feel at least a little bit optimistic as long as the pelicans take care of their business in games like the the wizards game they desperately have to win that game against the wizards they cannot lose that game you said four and one i think three and two is is definitely a reasonable record the rest of the way if they finish four and four with the schedules that a lot of these teams have left now that you don't have to worry about the grizzlies as much as you did i think that they could they still have a reasonable chance to get in um, the Blazers losing to the Celtics was huge. The Spurs losing to the Sixers last night on that game-winning three by uh, Shake Milton was huge. I-, I think more so than the Pelicans beating the Grizzlies, I think those two losses were just as significant for the Pelicans being in a decent situation right now. Yeah, and it, it just never made sense to me when, when people said, you know, the NBA is trying to set the Pelicans up to make the playoffs. I mean, let's be honest, I'm sure they would love to have them in there. I mean... The ratings for, for Zion LeBron w- would be sweet, but it just didn't make much sense when when we found out that basically the NBA was going to go with winning percentage in, instead of you know head to head record if, if teams are tied in, in games back or whatever. I mean, I, I'm not going to be surprised at all. It would feel very 2019 Pelicans if they finished you know the exact same number of games back as the Trailblazers. They beat the Trailblazers in all four of those games, and Portland got to move on simply because they played two more games before the season got suspended. 
and went one and one. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Pelicans' record against the teams that they're competing directly against. They're four no, or I'm sorry, three no against the Grizzlies, four no against the Blazers, one and no against the Kings, one and one against the Suns, and their own one against the Spurs. They only played once, so that means they're nine and two against the teams that they're in direct competition with. And the only team that the head-to-head tiebreaker is actually going to come into play would be the Kings. So, you know, I mean, I think the play-in series is definitely one thing you can look at as saying, okay, they're trying hard to make sure that the Pelicans get a legit shot. But, you know, the, they are definitely getting the short end on those tiebreaker scenarios. Yeah. Um, especially so far as the Blazers and the Grizzlies are concerned. And, you know, I think clearly we can say that, that New Orleans is probably a better team than, than Memphis right now. Um, they're, they're just a really hard head-to-head matchup for the Grizzlies. But... You know, if you're talking, if you're looking down the road, um, you know, to get into the playoffs, they're probably going to have to beat the Grizzlies two more times. That essentially means going 5-0 and against them this season. That's just a really difficult thing to do, even against a team you are better than. It's just beating them five times. It's, it's, it's a tough road. But I want to see it happen. <laughs> We should all want to see it happen. Uh, the other team that, like, no one's talking about them. There's only a handful of teams that are 2-0 and in the bubble. The Phoenix Suns are one of them. I feel like they're just kind of sitting down there below. You know, they're a game. They're a half game behind the Kings. And it almost feels like they, if they win a couple more games, they're creeping right up into that spot. And all of a sudden, you have to talk about an extra team that kind of felt like, the, you know, the Wizards in the Eastern Conference are kind of just there. The Suns kind of felt the same way. But, you know, if they if they throw down 4-0, you know, if they win a couple more tough games, they beat the Mavericks the other night, <laughs> all of a sudden you have to start looking at DeAndre Ayton and uh, Devin Booker, another team that I don't want to have to deal with. You know, the Pelicans don't play them, I don't think. They don't. But that's another team that, you know, any given night, Devin Booker could throw down 50. Uh, so the dog, the, dog is, the dog is freaking out. But it's I, I'm just so pumped to have basketball back, man. One of my favorite pastimes is not taking the sun seriously, and I'm worried we're headed to a place where we've <laughs> got to take the sun seriously. I mean, w- next year they might be one of those teams that really is a, a contender for the AC. They have some talent, and it kind of looks like it's coming together. I mean, Monty Williams, you know, I think does a respectable job. So we might be at a place pretty soon where we got to take them seriously, and that uh, that pains me, Jeff. <laughs> As it should. Uh, but that's all I have. I think I think that kind of resets everything pretty well. Well, cool. Appreciate you guys uh, listening this week. It really helps us out if you leave a, a five-star review on iTunes. Please mash that button for us, and we will talk to you again soon. Peace.